your Bibles to the, the 17th chapter of Genesis. Genesis 17. Here's a fellow that I'm going to read about just a, just a text, really. Uh, you could find a lot of flaws in his life. If you wanted to trace them down, you could find a lot of flaws in old Abraham's life. Made a lot of mistakes. Wasn't always honest. But uh, he had a good hope. He had a good hope. And uh, ain't much more to be said about a man to give you uh, a good assurance of him. And what's said about him in the book of James said he was a friend of God on time anybody was ever told that they were a friend of God in all the scripture and uh, and then uh, old Abraham of course uh, we read about him all the way through the scripture up and down he said he was father he was he is the father of the faithful those that father in the faith of Abraham are his children that's a pretty good statement isn't it, about a man pretty good statement well, here's a text that I was uh, thinking over this past week and uh, <clears throat> got into somewhat. Maybe not as deep as some others might get into it because it's one of those covenants that God talks about. That uh, I think overall there's eight covenants. There's five that's, uh, that are somewhat... Uh, sums up all the covenants of the Bible. But uh, here in verse number 7, he says, And I will establish my covenant. Talk to Abraham here now. And he tells tells old Abraham, he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations. For an everlasting, I like that, for an everlasting covenant. Here it is right here, to be be God to you and to your descendants after you. He goes on talking about giving his descendants that land there, the land of Canaan. He says, that's yours. This is actually the covenant made with uh, Abraham in behalf of the uh, children of Israel. And uh, we have similar covenants. This one right here, it sort of uh, seems to me as I read them and study them, they're uh, confirmations or affirmations of uh, the one major covenant, which is uh, the everlasting covenant that was made with our Lord Jesus Christ before the world began. And uh, we have another one that uh, it seems to be a, a confirmation. That's the one that he made the, with Noah prior to Abraham. And uh, then he made one with David. And those three seem to be con- confirmations of, a, of the covenant that he made uh, with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in eternity past. 
which he made in uh, behalf with him in behalf of his elect. But I want to talk to you about this covenant for a little bit, not long, but uh, just a little bit. I, I see two major covenants in the scripture, two major covenants that uh, you need to know something about. There's the covenant of works which he made with Adam and Adam's fallen race, his descendants, uh, back in the, the book of Genesis. And then there's that covenant that I referred to a moment ago that he made with the Lord Jesus Christ before the world began. Before the world began. And uh, so uh, when God framed man, understand this, when God framed man, when he made man from the dust of the earth and uh, gave him life, breathed into his soul the breath of life, and he became a living soul. Uh, God framed man, uh, and that great distinction between man and all other creatures was understanding. He gave man understanding. Uh, you know, we may say, well, animals somewhat, and some, some, of, some of them seem to have some kind of a intuition. But no, they don't understand God, though. They don't have that understanding. Some people think they do, but they don't. Some people uh, elevate them to the uh, to the side of a human being, but that's not so. That can't can't be so. They they make much over them, too much over them. I think sometimes, way too much, and uh, they go um, fanatical about it. You know, have uh, funerals for them and have uh, cemeteries dedicated to them and. Stuff like that, you know. And I heard a um, story several years ago about this lady. Didn't have nobody to leave her fortune to, so she willed it to her dog. And uh, so what was, what's, a, what's a dog going to do with a fortune? But uh, things like that, you know, out, just outlandish things, radical things. And <clears throat> that uh, they have absolutely no scriptural uh, comfort for. But he made man... And he fit him uh, to have communion and fellowship with himself. Uh, by this understanding, he may discern that there is a greater and better good outside of himself in which uh, communion and fellowship can be had. And true happiness can be found. And so he has that understanding. He can find that. He can see that and he can discern that. If he searches for it. And uh, so that's, uh, that's the covenant that he made with Abraham there. And uh, that which, uh, you know, the scripture says that which we have seen. John says this in First John 1, 3. That which we have seen and we have uh, and, and we heard declare we unto you that you might also have fellowship with us. He, told, he sent this letter out to the churches. And uh, try to encourage them uh, to uh, band together and come together for the purpose of fellowship with one another. But he tells us, tells on, goes on, tells them this. He says, "And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's where our fellowship is. That's what we do when we come together here. We call it fellowship. We call it fellowship when we, when we meet together, wherever we might meet." But in church especially, we call this time 
a time of fellowship. But it's truly a time of fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus assures us where two or three are gathered together, I'll be there. I'm going to be there. What's He here for? He's here to enter into that blessed time of fellowship with His people. Well, think about that when we come in here. We'll rejoice in it. We come to meet together, not just to be around one another. That's wonderful. But we come to meet together because Christ is in our midst. And we're here to enjoy the blessed presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us that assurance that I'll be there. I'll be there when you, there when you come together. And so think about that. Think about these things. And so the knowledge of Christ is the basis of our fellowship with God. To know Christ. You know Christ, you, I mean if you don't know Christ, you, you, you can never know anything about God. You know, he, he was getting ready to leave this world and his disciples were somewhat troubled. And, and uh, he, he was explaining to them uh, his purpose of leaving the world. He talked to them. He, uh, one of them asked him, said, uh, show us the Father and it'll satisfy us. It was Andrew, wasn't it? And he says, uh, Andrew, have I been, been so long with you and you haven't known the Father? If, you've, if you know me, you know the Father. Uh, you know, he said in other places, making us uh, sure in our hearts that to know him would be to know and have fellowship and communion with the Father. If you've seen me and know me, you know the Father. And so it is. And so it is. Uh, so knowledge of Christ. And knowledge of Christ is the basis of our fellowship with God. You know, he said in another place that he also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. If like the Apostle Paul... But we can say, it has pleased God to reveal his son in me. We will, after his example, after Paul's example, join ourselves, join ourselves with those uh, that are of like mind and like faith. And uh, rejoice together in our knowledge of the great God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Peter and John at the uh, healing of the cripple at the gate, beautiful at uh, the temple. You remember, you remember that incident? He'd been hauled into, uh, into a trial session before the Sanhedrin because they had healed this fella and uh, it had stirred up the people. And uh, those Sadducees and Pharisees didn't like what was going on there and they brought them in and they questioned them they uh, somewhat uh, reprimanded them for what they had done and what they were doing and uh, they wanted to, uh, to wanted them to know they couldn't do that stuff around there and uh, put them in jail for over a night kept them kept them because of what they had done and uh, then they brought them back out the next day because they had nothing really uh, legal to hold them by, so fearing the people, they let them go. Let them go, 
And they did. They let him go. But they again threatened him before they let him go. And they told him, said, uh, don't speak any more in this name. No more in this name, Jesus. And uh, they said, uh, we rather obey God than you. And they went their way. And you know what it said about them? They went to their own people. Some people were praying for them. You go on into the fourth chapter of Acts, and you see that these people were waiting and having a prayer meeting for them. And they went on to meet with their people. Went to, the scripture says they went to their own company. And so that's common with God's people. Just together with God's people. Be with their own company. Be with their own kind, we might say. I think I think that may be a good term, to be with their own kind. You know, we like to be with our own kind, don't we? <laughs> yep, we do. And uh, some people claim to be Christians and uh, but they don't have no no use for their own kind. And they might go here and they might go there. They might go where they please. But they very seldom gather and meet and associate and commune and fellowship with their own kind. It may mean that they're not of that kind. That may tell a story. It may tell the story on them. I don't know. It could. So when they had further, that is, the disciples of the uh, Sadducees and the Pharisees threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them uh, because of the people. And being let go, the scripture said, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. You know, here's something to think about right here. This sort of explains to this text over here in Genesis chapter 17. Over in the book of uh, Revelation, uh, we read this. Revelation 13, 8. It says, the lamb slain. That's in the purpose of God. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That makes it clear, doesn't it? Makes it clear to me that in view of the fall, in view of the fall of Adam, when he fell, his entire posterity fell, fell in, that, in that fall. And in view of that fall, provision, God made provision uh, for the recovery of his people. You know, we fell in that fall. We had to be delivered from that fall. We had to be saved from what we fell into in that awful fall. We fought, fell into the terrible separation from God. No, no fellowship, no communion with God in that situation. But God had already, before the foundation of the world, before the world was ever made, He had already, He had already decided He was going to slay His Son, the Lamb, in order to redeem His people from that awful fall. You ever thought about that? You ever give that much thought? He already made His plans, His purpose. If he hadn't made those plans and that, and that purpose, wouldn't a single soul in this building be saved? Neither in all the world. Because that was the whole purpose of sending his blessed only begotten son into this world. That he might sacrifice him. That he might deliver him up to be slain, to be killed, to die on a cross, 
to shed his blood in order that you and I might have recovery, might have a way out of that awful situation that we had found ourselves in in the fall of our first our first parents. Yes, sir. I thought about that. And it is something worth thinking about. So the recovery would be affected uh, consistent with the uh, claims of the divine holiness and justice of God. And all the details and results of the plan of mercy had been arranged by God uh, and settled from the beginning of this uh, world by that divine wisdom. All the mercy, everything, the grace of God, the covenant of grace, the blessed everlasting covenant that he made with his son. Can you imagine it? Before this world, before this world was. Come together in the eternal Godhead, the counsel of God, and determine somebody's got to go there and deliver those people. That somebody can only be one of the persons of God. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. I think he's volunteered. I'll go, Father. I'll go. And I'll sacrifice myself. I'll enter. I'll leave my glory here behind and go into the world and I'll I'll I'll, I'll go through all this to be to be done in order to satisfy justice. Satisfy your law, honor your law. And I'll give my life, I'll forfeit my life, that my blood might be shed to ratify this covenant that you've made with me. And that's what he did when he came into this old sin-sick world. So all the details and results of the plan of mercy had been arranged and settled from the very beginning by divine wisdom. And all this while, we were, we were yet in the jaws of uh, the death of our apostasy in uh, Adam. God is the party. You know, he's the, he's, he's the party that made this covenant. He made it not with uh, anyone else but himself. When he swore to save us, he swore to himself to save us. When he could swear by no other. Now what the Hebrew writer said, when he could swear by no other, no greater, he swore by himself in this covenant year. So it was a what we call a unilateral covenant, wasn't it? No one no one was involved in it, same with God. God was the party. And uh, God made all the stipulations of it. But you know, I say there were two covenants, the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. And in that covenant of works, you know, that was a bilateral covenant. That covenant was uh, involving Adam and his race. And uh, it had stipulations uh, for Adam to keep up. And if he didn't, uh, if he didn't comply to it, my soul, he not only uh, cast himself under the t- terrible just curse, but he cast all his posterity under that curse. That's what we try to preach to sinners. You're in a, you're in a mess. 
You're in a fix that you can't get yourself out of. Unless you cry out to Jesus. Unless you come to him. He's the one that God made the covenant. The everlasting covenant of grace with. And he's the only one that you'll find grace in. Find grace with. Jesus and Jesus alone. I could get that across to every sinner that I come across with. Try to get that across to them. That's been my burden ever since God called me to preach this gospel. Just try to get that across to them. You only have one hope. You only want to have one hope. One and only. And that hope is in, in Christ Jesus, the only one. He's the only one. No one else. Don't go here. Don't go there. Don't look there. Don't look there. Cry out to Jesus. If you're hopeless. And God says in his holy word that we are. And we, when, we, when we come into this world, we are without God and without Christ and without hope in the world. But he has a hope for us. And that hope is in his blessed <laughs> Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not hard to say, is it? Hard to get across, seem though. Seem like it's hard to get across to folks. Why do why do why do we make it so simple and so clear? And yet they do. They go here and they go there. And they look there and they look there, and they they try this and they try that. It's all nothing but a false and a failure. No hope in it. No hope in anything except that one only begotten Son of God, Jesus. Jesus and Jesus alone. You know, God actually is both the, uh, the party and the substance of this uh, unilateral covenant uh, he said I will be I will be a God to you it is right there I I, I will be a God to you poor heathen they, they make everything in the world that he can find and carve out and bow down before God and God makes it so clear I will be a God to you that's his covenant that's his covenant. And they both, I say he's a, he's a, a substance. He's both the party and the substance of this, this covenant. Uh, they fall both together in one. You know, it's, it's a sweet sign, really, when we read this thing here, of God's great love, that he would stoop so low as to make a covenant with us. Thus, think about that. That he would steep so low to make a covenant with us to be our God. He didn't have to do that. He did not have to do that, folks. It baffles the thinking, don't it? It does. It really does. And to be to be himself all in all to us. 
Consider that. These uh, parties, God and we. God and we. Yeah, I will be a God to you. You the creature. God the creator. You. You. The clay. And God the creator. He took that clay, that little ball of clay that that's all you are. That's all I am. Just a ball of clay. Without God, you're absolutely nothing but a ball of clay. And he took that clay, and he made, and he framed, and he, he fitted a creature that he could take into his sheltering love and have fellowship with that creature. He did that. That's our God. And... Uh, the glorious God. Think about this. And dust and ashes. That's what we are. Without God, dust and ashes. Clay, dirt. Unformed, unfit. And the glorious God. Yeah. The holy God. And sinful man. That's the two parties involved here. The great king of heaven and earth. And rebels. And traitors. Are you listening? Are you listening? You see, for him to consider so low... As, uh, or, I'm sorry, for him to condescend so low as to make a covenant with such, to enter into terms, into terms of agreement with such, is a, is a marvelous sign of his gracious mercy and love. His gracious mercy and love. You know, Patsy and I yesterday received a text from a young lady I mentioned her a while ago. It was a text with a testimony attached to it. Uh, and I knew I knew this, this this lady. I mean for years. I guess I've known her for 50 years. At least. And uh this poor woman went through from a from a from a young girl. She went through so many reforms that you can't count them. People prayed for her, prayed for her. She'd make she'd make professions through a reform. Looked pretty good for a while. Everybody get excited about her. And then there she'd go off the deep end again. And I'm talking about the deep end. Seemed like she's so far from God she could never get back. Never get back. 
Zo'n volks geven op haar. En nu, zo'n volks is geven op haar. Maar altijd had een love voor de jonge lady. En ik never did give up. I always kept praying for her. And uh, others also kept praying for her. They just wouldn't give up. Especially her mother and her dad would never give up. Kept praying. She'd go through a reform. She'd look good a while, Steve. And uh, she'd come back home and and she'd go off the deep end again. She'd take what she could get from her from her mother and her father's house and be gone. You talking about going into the depth of sin, she'd go into the depth of sin as deep as you could go. She'd go. Somebody was praying for her though. Kept praying for her. Praying that God would be pleased to bring her back. And to bring her back. But here's a word she sent us. She started the words with this, having no hope and without God in the world. And she said, though every good gift and perfect gift is indeed from above, yet only the gift of faith, she said, can change a sinner's heart. Sin is so deceitful, our depraved nature will search everywhere else but Christ for fulfillment the way the truth and the life she says sin will deceive the most decent upstanding responsible person to think that that's that they're all right so that they need no need of a savior. He says sin will keep the obvious rich, the drunk, the whoremonger, the thief, the addict, in those chains spinning his or her wheels going nowhere except deeper into guilt and shame and a thousand other willful deeds separating him herself from Christ their only hope their only hope she says Satan is a deceiver and a liar God tells us there's pleasure in sin he does the devil tells us the same thing she says but God tells us the truth that these sins and these pleasures are only for a season. Yeah. Only for a season. Satan lies and tells us like he did with our first parents that there'll be unending pleasures and that we will be like God. Yeah. 
told Adam and Eve that. That's where the trouble started, but they believed that. They believed it. Well, the truth is there's only one God. There's only one God, and praise be unto him. She sent this little refrain of a song that her folks that she used to sing. Yes, there's one, only one. That blessed, blessed Jesus. He's the one. When afflictions press the soul, when waves of trouble roll, and you need a friend to help, He's the one. He's the one. He's the only one. What can we but hope for from so gracious a God but all the promises of this unilateral, everlasting covenant of grace? That's where it is all right there in that covenant. Yes, sir. Do you understand what this God who cannot lie would have to do if he denied a child of God, one of you that's come to faith in Christ and arresting in his son and holding steadfast to his son? Do you know what our God would have to do if he denies you one single promise that's bound up in that unilateral Covenant. That one sided covenant. Huh? Nobody have to he'd have to deny his own son. Because that covenant Steve was made with his son. And he'd have to deny his only begotten son if he denies you one single promise that you find in that blessed covenant. You see what I'm talking about? You understand what I'm saying? He would. Do you think that's a possibility? <laughs> no, sir. No, if it's, if this thing was bilateral, we'd be right back in that mess, wouldn't we? And that's what people have latched on to. An understanding of a bilateral covenant. They think God has made a covenant with them. And if they'll keep their end of the bargain, which they can't, they can't do it. They know we can do it. That God will have to keep his. No, God made a steadfast, sure. Agreement with us. If you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and soul, you're saved. Steadfastly saved. Anchored within the veil. Doesn't that that sound better? But folks believe that, you know what? That sounds so good. Christ, without God, without Christ, Without hope in the world didn't sound too encouraging to me. I'd rather have Christ. 
If I have Christ, I have God. If I have God, I have hope. It's all in what God promised to you through that agreement. That steadfast, everlasting, unilateral covenant of grace. Think about that. Think about these things I tried to tell you today. Hope they'll help you. All right. Stay coming, ladies and gentlemen.